The shadows of storm and night. The mysteries of life and light. From unearthly peculiarities, celestial and divine, to apparitions and transcendental signs. You're listening to To The Spirit Podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Beck. And I'm your co-host, Steph. Hi, Steph. How you doing, Beck? This is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It's the fall. It is the fall. So let me ask you something. What is your favorite treat for Halloween? Oh, it's it's candy corn. No. It's tops. Candy corn's the worst. No, it's the best, Beck. You don't understand. I, I'm more of a Reese's uh, peanut butter cup girl myself. But have you tried those sweaty balls? Sweaty balls. Those are only for Christmas stuff. No, they're for any time of the year. All year round? All year round. Sweaty <laughs> On this episode, we had a wonderful guest who shares all things Sardinia, Italy. He's my brother. He's your brother? Yes, we had a great interview. Is there any parting words you'd like to say before we go into the interview? Make sure this season is full of candy corn and sweaty balls. Sweaty balls. I'm going to lead us in with one of Steph's acoustic songs. Enjoy. Our guest today is an English professor who has traveled the globe. His interests include studying ancient cultures, languages, genealogy, and geography. Currently located in Sardinia, Italy, he frequently visits regional historical sites. Today, he will be sharing with us stories from local Sardinians, including curses, witches, spirits guarding treasures, ghost stories, and haunted castles. Some of his recent adventures have even taken him to fairy caves. Please welcome Timothy Eady. Hi, Tim. Thanks for being here. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Welcome, Tim. Tell us a little bit of where you're located. Okay. Sardinia is... Off the radar, I think, from for most Americans, because people usually think of Sicily, and you know Sicily's great, but Sardinia is the other island, as it's known, and it's the second biggest island in the Mediterranean. It's roughly the size of New Hampshire, so it's it's fairly big, but you know, a population of one million and a half, so it's not bustling with people. <laughs> uh, I live in the city of. Sassari, which is in the northwest, and it is the second biggest city to the capital of Sardinia, which is Cagliari. And Cagliari is located in the south. Yeah, so like I think in general, when people say Sardinia, they either think like sardines, like fish, or they think of something completely unrelated to it. And I always have to tell or explain to people like Sardinian culture and how Yes, it's Italian, but it's also completely different. Can you tell us the background of Sardinia? How ancient are the people? What were they called? And how it developed over yeah, the Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Well, at least for me, it's fascinating. Uh, but it's you can't go anywhere on the island without seeing some sort of ruin. I mean, that's probably true for a lot of places in Europe or in other parts of the world. But in Sardinia, there's literally like probably over 7,000 of these sites. And you can just drive along the highway and see archaeological ruins. So historical peoples, uh, Sardinians, are very old. 
Of course, they're part of the greater like Mediterranean cultural phenomena. Historically speaking, going back to the Neolithic, and probably actually, if you really want to go back to the farthest point, the first humans found were probably pre-Homo sapiens. Uh, so people are always like on the island for hundreds of thousands of years. But the, the real like core of people that started moving were farmers that came originally from what is now modern day Turkey, and it's called Anatolia. And they spread through the Mediterranean and these peoples spread through Italy, Central Europe, Northern Europe, into the British Isles, Spain, and they, they kind of were everywhere. And people that came to Sardinia were predominantly farmers and they became in a sense, isolated. But one of the main reasons why people were attracted to Sardinia was this rock called obsidian. And I don't know if you know obsidian. It's a, a black rock that is yes. when you, it's easily formable because it's so brittle and you can make things with it, like very sharp things like axes and knives. And it's very valuable. And it was considered probably sacred. Like I'm sure people thought of it as sacred and it's everywhere here, this rock. So that's one of the things, one of the reasons why people and interestingly, the, the things that you might find in Sardinia relating to this period, what I would call the middle to late Neolithic period, are really interesting. They're called Domus Deianas, and it means house or houses of the fairies. And they were originally, like, I'll try to describe them, but they're, they're built kind of like a cave, but they were dug into the ground or maybe the side of a hill or an into rock. And they, these were tombs. They built these tombs. I guess you could call them like a hypogeo chamber. Were there actual bodies buried there? They were. I mean, over this, this is going back five to maybe 6,000 years ago. So like the bones, if, if they survived, would be, you know, dust or various pieces. But also because for as long as humans existed, there's always been thieves. <laughs> and people always, you know, assume that there was treasures in these places. So people have also used them for various things as well. So like the original use for the Domus Deianas, it was a tomb. It was, and they were built for the community. Like, so it, usually for families or maybe for the entire, I don't know if it was for the entire community, if there were various chambers for, <laughs> I don't know how the, the, the structure of the communities uh, saw themselves, but very much more communal than, you know, modern times. So the things that you would find in them now are painted with what is called a red ochre. If you're familiar with a lot of ancient peoples, use red ochre as a death ceremonial. It's like, it's something they make a paste out of and they cover it with the body. They cover it maybe in a ceremonial sense. So they find that and they find painted like motifs that are maybe magical or symbolic, things that might avert evil spirits. Also, human petroglyphs, stone art, various things. And probably the most interesting are the these depictions of bullhorns. So it kind of gives you a clue that these people had cows. <laughs> so I don't know if that's interesting, but it's they, they probably revered cattle in some way, and maybe in a in a fertility sense. So I don't like we don't really know what they felt about the afterlife, but obviously they believed in an afterlife. And if they thought in some way death and virility and fertility were connected, maybe in, in that sense. And this is not unique in Sardinia. These are actually found throughout the Mediterranean. Now, did they start calling them fairy caves long after? I think this is 
quite normal in in a pan-European sense. You find this in Ireland, in the UK, I'm sure, like in France or in Europe in general, where these older Neolithic graves, they stand out. You can't, like, they're part of your life, but you don't know how to explain them. So you, you explain them by, like in Ireland, they would say, like, the fairy mounds. And these fairy mounds, you know, they live like supernatural beings. And they believe this, of course. I would assume that the Domus Deianus, the the idea of fairies, it probably goes back at least to the Middle Ages, or maybe before. And there's probably always have been a a belief system of the peoples that came after that didn't understand why these were built. And another interesting thing about these uh, fairy caves, or Domus Deianus, is that after they were done, the, the use of them has finished, where they weren't burying them for religious reasons. The shepherds, <laughs> and like this probably occurred until recent times, like within the last 60 years maybe, shepherds would use these caves for their sheep. <laughs> and you could find evidence of animals living in them, and the shepherds probably used them also to sleep. Fast forward uh, after the Neolithic, you know, up until like the Middle Ages, they were also used for noble families, people that wanted to bury their families in a nice place that probably held a, a special significance and they were decorated with Christian motifs instead of, so you, on one side you see like pagan human humanoid things or maybe uh, like spiral shapes. And on the other side, you see like what you would describe as Byzantine depictions of saints or Christ. <laughs> so it's very, uh, in a nutshell, certainly. It seems almost conflictive. What is the their definition of a fairy? Probably... I would say a fairy is in the modern sense. Like I think it, it's very borrowed also in from American and you know European broad culture. So like a, a little person, you know. Like I I've been to this village in the south. They painted them on the houses, like little gnome or fairy like peoples on the bottoms of the houses. And I think on one side they could be like these helpers. You find this in European mythology, like every. Like they can help you, but also they can, you know, play tricks on you. And sometimes they maybe they're the they're the protector of the house itself. And also maybe these spirits or ideas of fairies were of ancestors. So it it's it's a kind of a it's an interesting topic, but I would say that most Sardinian people wouldn't talk a lot about fairies besides as an anthropological perspective. So were they looked at as a positive image or more of a playful trickster type image? I would say so, yes. More playful. Or at least protective even. They probably protected the house from any sort of thing that could happen. You know, natural occurrence of fire. How close is one of these places located to where you are now? And how many have you visited and what is the experience like for you? From Sasari, I'm not sure how close they are. Like there might be one like really close I'm unaware of because these places are everywhere. But the closest that I've been to, I think I've been to three types of Domestianas. One is near the city of Alguero. And they're more, they're a little different because they're everywhere. It's a very famous site where they're buried. I mean, the holes are in the ground and you can get down into them and look. And there's kind of these passageways. In my perspective, and I've, what I've read also, is that the dead were buried with various things for the next journey, like the journey for the next life. And I wonder if these passages were just like in, I'm not to say that they're connected 
passages or not, but the like the Egyptians, they had passages, you know, that they had to get their way out of the, the pyramid or whatever uh, to find into the next life. I wonder if there's a kind of similar explanation for this, but there's that. There's also, they're quite nearby, I would say within a 30-minute drive, but they're, they're literally everywhere. Now in Italy, there's a lot of these towns, they're abandoned villages, but this particular town is quite famous. I think it's even a UNESCO, UNESCO site, like protected by UNESCO, and it's an abandoned town of Rebecca, like Re- Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca, uh, and it's of not too course. far. Of course. <laughs> it's not too far from Sassari. It's, it's a drive south, probably within 40 minutes or so. So Rebecca, it's in Sardinia during the Middle Ages, there was what they called Judicati. And the Judicati were kind of these four separate kingdoms of Sardinia. And the four were Torres, Galura, Cagliari, and Avorea. And Avorea was kind of like the center west. And these, these Judicati, it comes from the word like judge. They were more like glorified judges, but they had kind of these parliaments. Super interesting from a historical perspective. But in one of these towns, I believe in the year, around the year 1300, and I think a lot of these stories that go back that far are a mixture of myth and truth. Supposedly, there was this king or judge named Beku, and his daughter was accused of witchcraft. And it was a, an important village for the time. Apparently, it was maybe there was some administrative importance. But if you go there now, there's nothing. The town said to the king, Beku, in the story, to send her away or or else, you know, or, or it's you. Because you can't have this pagan witch <laughs> living amongst us. So he does this, sends his daughter away from the village. And apparently this princess, I think her name was Donoria, she went away launching curses and Rebecca, Rebecca, die trinta domus non move. And it means Rebecca does not exceed 30 houses. And apparently after this, there was floods and pests and plague that have basically dogged the town for, for a long time. But now, it, like now, in all truth, the town is abandoned. Nobody lives there, I think. Maybe a few people, but it, it is a ghost town. So when you go there, it's very interesting because there's nobody. <laughs> and you can kind of just walk around. And it looks like a movie set. It's really interesting. So you mentioned spirits guarding treasures. Now, what is that about? To describe Sardinia as a whole, before I, I talk about the treasures, I think Sardinia is, on one side, it's very isolated from the Italian culture and the cultures that were before it. In Sardinia, you had so many different cultures before it. And before Italy, you had uh, Piemonte and Spain. Spain probably has the biggest impact on Sardinia for 400 years. And before that, in the Middle Ages, you had various republics of Pisa. And I think in general, like on one side, Sardinia is extremely isolated. And on the other side, it's very connected to the European world. I think the stories, and there's a lot of these stories about castles, and treasures. <laughs> There's a theme going on here. Uh, these these <laughs> castles 
this is something you could find probably in any anywhere in Europe. But I, you know, when I when I read about them, I find that they're quite um, like some are interesting and some are just like okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so like one of them is Casaldoria, where people say it's a, a castle. It's a famous family, the Doria family, that are from Genoa, and they have a lot of influence in Sardinia. And this castle, I, I've been to the castle, and they say that there's a treasure inside, and the spirits protect the treasure. There's also the castle of Medusa, <laughs> which, if you know the story of Medusa, it comes from Greek mythology. Near the city of Oristano, there's this place called Samogeo, and Medusa, apparently, like, <laughs> going back centuries, <laughs> lived in this place in this place and had a castle there and then you know the story of uh medusa but apparently she haunts the place and protects the treasures inside okay that's that's horrifying i don't <laughs> all you have to do is bring a mirror in right she sees a reflection and in... exactly if you, if you read the stories and you're fine you can get the treasure and is the treasure a bowl of pasta i don't mean to sound <laughs> could be could be a bowl of pasta if anything it's probably sheep because she, there's more sheep here than people. <laughs> no, I'm very sorry. That's, that's no, uh, that's fine. We're having fun. I know. I don't mean to offend all the Italians. <laughs> no, 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 no. As a as a perspective, also, I would like to add that in the scope of things, Italian, I would say Sardinia is definitely the, the most different of all the regions. One, it's had a people like a completely different ethnic group and. They were like invaded by all these different cultures that don't really have similar influence on the mainland. Of course, the Romans came and, you know, there's the, the Latin cultural influence. But Italy is filled with these like differences of culture and mythology. Super interesting, you know, from the north to the south. And with Sardinia, on one end, it, today especially, it's, it's Italian culture for sure. But on the op opposite end, Sardinia is proud of its isolation. One fact is... The Sardinian language, it's a different language than Italian. It's as different as Portuguese as to Romanian or Spanish. And it is actually heavily influenced by Spanish. I had heard a story about The Simpsons, and just so you can describe to our audience about how The Simpsons is kind of a global franchise and that for the characters, they have to add their versions of it. So groundskeeper Willie's Sardinian influence oh, yeah. The Simpsons, how that plays in Sardinia. You know, in, in The Simpsons, it's, he's from Glasgow, I think, or Argyllshire, or so, I don't know, somewhere in, this, in Scotland. And for us, the Scottish accent, at least, you know, his impression of a Scottish accent is like rough. <laughs> it's, it's this, you know, kind of cartoonish stereotype. Well, you know, the Italians, of course, have stereotypes of Sardinians. And one is shepherds. And bandits, and, and these are recent stereotypes. They're not like centuries ago. I'm talking just a few decades ago. Yeah, the in The Simpsons, the character who is Groundskeeper Willie, the accent he's doing is a bad stereotypical version of a Sardinian person. <laughs> so whether it's funny or not, I don't know. Like, I, I think Sardinians might have a problem with it, but it, it's definitely funny for Italians. No, I, I always thought that was amusing I, that I heard that. I wanted to mention the flag of Sardinia is kind of startling because it's four chopped off heads of Barbary pirates. Yeah. Could you go into that just a little bit? After the fall of Rome, you, you have this 
kind of chaos in the Mediterranean and stability and the safety of people. Maybe going back centuries in Sardinia, seafaring was a thing. But I think after the fall of Rome, there was this period of what they call like Byzantine period, which actually lasted for a few centuries, brought back some stability. But during the, the conquest of Islam in North Africa and into Spain, a lot of the sea in the Mediterranean was pirated. <laughs> there was a lot of pirates, and this problem was a reality up until the 19th century. So people were, they would land, these pirates would land on the coast and take people as slaves. Obviously, this is something that it's maybe hard for us to relate to, but this was like, it impacted Sardinian culture. Hugely, because Sardinians stopped being a seafaring people, always looked more to the hills and into far away as possible from the dangerous sea, because there's always been invaders. With these people, I guess the Catalans, the kingdom in Spain, they built these towers along the coast, and it was to defend from the pirates. The Sardinian flag, it's four heads of what they describe as like patrimori, which is like the four heads of, I'm assuming decapitated heads of pirates they've captured. On the lighter side of it, there's a, a beer, which is like an institution here called Iknusa, and Iknusa is like the official Sardinian beer. On the flag, the, the version that in the past it has them blindfolded, these four heads. But now they're not wearing the blindfolds. They look happy. <laughs> they look nice. It's not so like, oh, God. And then I've seen even t-shirts for like gay pride where the, the heads face each other and kiss. So... It's it's wow. nice now. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not as um not as threatening. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's part of their their culture. I mean, all so over. We've got witches, we've got <laughs> pirates, we've got treasures, we got fairies. What else do we have? Okay, so in Sassari, I know a few ghost stories that I've read, but some of my wife's friends are quite interested in witchcraft. Not witchcraft like uh, neo-paganism, but I guess you'd describe it as, in Italian, it's like malocchi. It's a kind of Mediterranean witchcraft, and it's considered more natural. I can go back to that after, but uh, yeah, they're, they're in Sassari. There's a few places that are supposedly haunted, and I've talked to people who are atheists but they kind of believe it's haunted. <laughs> like, like it's still like, eh, I wouldn't sleep there if you, if you had me <laughs> So uh, one place, I don't know the name of it, but it, it looks like a Victorian house. Typical 19th century opulence where people have lots of money and they, they build these big houses, big mansions. And it's beautiful. It's like literally like five minutes from walking distance from where I live. And it looks like if you were to build a haunted house, this is it. This is like the most stereotypical haunted house like a, a mediterranean dollhouse and apparently there are ghosts there and now the most obvious thing that's there are cats there's like probably a colony of cats and they're protected <laughs> <laughs> they are actually protected uh but probably the most famous ghost story is in a school they call it the scuola media numero sette it's the the middle school, number seven, and where it's located is known as the Triangolo Maladetto, which is the cursed triangle. And apparently the triangle is made by three churches. So in between this, the area of these three churches, 
is cursed, apparently. Uh, but this school, which I have a friend who works there, she just started this year, so I'll have <laughs> I'll have to ask her if she's heard anything yet. But this school is supposedly haunted. The history is it was a friary where they taught children, and apparently the the friars were kind of abusive. They weren't very nice. In more recent times, they switched the friary into a school, and I think there's a nursery above it. Stories go, teachers will hear the tables moving and vibrating, and chairs will be sliding across the floor, or people will feel a hand on their back. And another story was a teacher sending a girl to the office, and she came back in tears because she saw something that that bothered her and i think in the same in the same story they sent a boy there into a music hall and he came back much much later and there the teacher got mad said where were you and he's like oh there was a child asking me to play piano and like, nobody there okay. that's freaky yeah yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty freaky. Uh, yeah a lot of people here say that's probably the most haunted place in the city I'm sure there's like there's lots of places in this historical center. It's a, it's a medieval city, and my my mother-in-law was telling me they I don't know how long ago maybe a few years ago or I don't I don't know when they did this but they they were digging up for construction that same area, and they kept finding bones and the bones were of people. Apparently the the bones I think were from the 16th century because of the plague. The whole area there's like they, they must have just. So many people were dying from the plague. They just buried them under houses, under in the ground. You know, maybe the houses were built after. That's a creepy added thing. And maybe you know, if there is like some energy, bad energy, <laughs> maybe it's affecting that in that neighborhood. I want to transition us back towards the witches, but before I do, since we're coming into Halloween, mm -hmm. you know, in Ireland they call it Samhain. Well, how do Sardinians celebrate Halloween? Okay, yeah, this is interesting. Because from a, an Italian perspective, Halloween is an American thing. I can get blue in the face and say, no, it's, it's, uh, it comes from Samhain, it's Irish, and also British Isles. They had similar festivals. But in truth, it all comes to this Catholic holiday where they honor the dead. And it probably has pre-Christian influence. And I think this was true everywhere in Europe. This is not a new thing. I guess the commercial side of Halloween is something they're not really crazy about because it's they have a, a thing called Carnivale, which is around Easter, and it's just like Halloween. So maybe it's just like it's competition, festival competition. But Sardinia, they do have something they're very proud of, and it's called Sumortu Mortu. And Sumortu Mortu is the same. It's basically Halloween. They don't really dress. I don't think they dress up at all. They don't have that idea, but they... I think they take candles and they they walk around with the candles. Maybe they visit cemeteries. But the the most Halloween aspect of it is that they ask for sweets or fruit or treats. They go knocking door to door and they ask for this. But I think this is a common aspect. You know, like in England, they had soul cakes. You knock on door to door and you get a treat. <laughs> so I think I don't I don't know if it's like so different, but yeah. They do have this a kind of Halloween. So it sounds like they celebrate the dead. Yeah, like it's it's festive. Halloween is becoming popular here. 
And it's, it's really cute, you know, to see people dressed in costumes and there's pumpkins. They're definitely taking the, the commercial aspect of Halloween because that's what they see on TV. And things like uh, Sumortu Mortu, they're, they're more celebrated. They're not celebrated here in Sassari. They're celebrated in the other parts of Sardinia. It's probably fun for them, but maybe Halloween is like, I don't want to say, I don't want to claim like, oh, it's, it's supplanting Sumortu Mortu. And I think one of the reasons why it's not as interesting for them is because the other festival they have, Carnivale, is incredible. It is probably the coolest holiday. We have Mardi Gras, you know? There's nothing even close to that. Tell us more about that Mardi Gras type celebration. So obviously, like now it's a Christian holiday. But I I guess during that period, actually, this is... come back a little bit in an anthropological perspective. I'm really curious about why in the Southern Europe and Northern Europe, they have these similar traditions, but some are in October and some are in March, February, March. The periods between the autumn and spring equinox, there's kind of this weird period in between and that all of these cultures, I'm talking prehistorical cultures, they have this idea that the closer you get to the to the winter solstice, there's there's this kind of I don't know like where the earth and the realms of the dead become more at one, which you find in like Halloween, the idea of Halloween with the dead walk in that period, and that's like the veil <laughs> that separates us is at its thinnest. In these periods, the idea is to be a part of it and to dress with masks to look like one of these spirits and where like in Northern Europe, it tends to be more in, in the autumn pre winter and in the Mediterranean, it tends to be more in the spring, but it, it's in between the equinoxes and it kind of has the same function. Carnivale is, is Halloween. <laughs> it's like the same idea where people Sounds, dress yeah. up and in actually in between going back to in between the equinox in the solstice, the Romans, the Latins, they celebrated a, a feast called Saturnalia, and it was a huge drunken festival. People, they played games, they gambled, but the, the most interesting aspect was in Saturnalia was role reversal. So the ruling classes switched roles with slaves and, and lower classes, and they dressed in different outfits, and they had to do reverse roles during this holiday. And people got really drunk <laughs> and they they also did gift giving like in uh, in i think december 19th there was like this festive giving gifts a lot of this stuff survived in the modern christian sense actually in england this idea survived the protestant reformation was a lot of it was this idea that like christmas was this drunken festival but a lot of the traditions they had were actually from south Italia. and they try to get away from that with this idea. Also, if you, I don't know, there's a Christmas carol where they talk about like telling ghost stories, yeah. but that was a part of like, you know, nowadays we think Halloween ghosts, Christmas, you know, Santa Claus, but that period was about ghost stories, like that whole period. And this actually goes back to like this idea that maybe because people were now indoors with each other, telling stories, remembering the past. I think this was like the function. During the spring and summer, you went out with your, your animals or farm, you're outside. So I think this is kind of the, the human function. Going to Carnivale, the Romans had 
these festivals. And then obviously with Christianity in the Roman sense, instead of change the way they believe, they just adapted pagan Roman customs and then called it Christianity. The idea maybe with Carnivale, like uh, Marte di Grasso or Mardi Gras at Tuesday, the idea of carnival could come from the word carnem levare, which is like el eliminate meat. But there's also other theories that could come from carnualia, and that means uh, country games, and the games were maybe like a parade, and maybe there was uh, curus navalis, which is ships on wheels. So if you look at the, the festival of Mardi Gras, you see the floats, you see the idea. I think there was like a connection with the goddess Isis also. It was kind of like the beginning of festivities. And Easter, you know, in Italian it's Pasqua. Easter, pre-Christian period, there was so many different festivals honoring different gods. So you had, you know, festival for Jupiter, for all these different gods. Well, this is just probably one of those. Let's just call it Easter. <laughs> Let's just adopt the, their festival. Because it really, like, when you think about it, getting drunk and wearing masks in the street doesn't really have much to do with the resurrection or anything. But, yeah, it's, it's one aspect of it. Going back to when you were talking about witches, you said that they're, they're based more like natural, not like the neo-pagan style of witchcraft. Can you elaborate on that and give us an example of how they do their witchcraft in Italy? Well, in Italy, in a sense, as a, in a modern sense, Northern Italy is very 21st century, modern, dynamic place, like anywhere else in the Western world. The more south you go, especially in the south of Italy, it tends to blur a little bit. And in some cases, it's some of the poorest regions in Europe. Most of Alokio is, means the evil eye. And this goes back to Greek superstitions. And that is the general word used. I remember hearing stories in the United States of Italian Americans. It's like when a child's sick, you go to the doctor? No, you send them to this kind of witch. And it didn't conflict with their Christian beliefs. So it was just like, oh, that's normal. <laughs> There's no problem with this. So it, it was a much accepted part of their culture. In Sardinia, I think it's a similar idea where, you know, you're sick, you have something wrong. They know what kind of herbs to give you. They know probably passed down beliefs that usually women, I think, especially older women, they would they would help people. And I'm sure curse people. This stuff, you know, obviously in small villages, everybody knows everyone's business. It's just part of life here. That is something where I'm sure if you had a problem, usually the problems were is like vendetta, or maybe you couldn't have a baby, or I want love. It's, you know, typical human nature. And these people perform the, the rites. Sadly, these people, they probably held all this interesting knowledge. But during the counter-reformation, and also like, especially when the Spanish were here, they kind of went against them hardcore. They really, if they, they, they knew there was a kind of witch, they would hang or burn them. There's even an interesting museum talking about these particular witches. And unfortunately, a lot of them were killed in that period. In reality, they're probably just kind of like a doctor. <laughs> you know, like I know there is a more mystical side, but they probably. Yeah, I was going to say they're more like a shaman. Yeah, and I think a lot of in, in this country, the, the Catholic Church is such a huge presence. I think, well, okay, like in an American point of view, we tend to separate everything like Christianity versus paganism. Everything's black and white. 
in Italy, and especially in the south of Europe, Mediterranean culture, it's more gray. Festivals are so obviously pagan during the, the most pagan aspect of Sardinian life, and I, I can't not talk about this, is during the festivities of Carnivale. In the festivities, they have these people dress, usually in shepherd towns, but they dress in these, these outfits that look like goats or cows. And they have really strange, like if you were an outsider, you're like, what is this? It looks like it's really spooky. The most famous in Sardinia is the Mamutones. And they are paired together with the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's the Isolardores. So it's basically these people with these masks and fur, like an animal, and they have bells all around them. And they're kind of demonic or spiritual. But they, these people dress up like it, and they parade through the street, these mamotones. The Isordores, they're dressed in a, a different type of outfit, usually in red, with red hats, and a white, kind of like eyes wide shut face. <laughs> you know, like the really, wow. you know, like it's it, a blank expression face. And they have these beasts along with these, so like the mamotones with the isoadores, they take the lasso and they lasso them. And actually, as they go through the crowd, and this is fun for tourists, but these people lasso women <laughs> because <laughs> it's supposed to be good luck. Yeah, so that's interesting. And they have all of these different outfits. Some differ, like the turpos in Orotali. It's just like a hood with darkened faces, like black faces, like with soot. And then they they have the boes, a merdules in Otama, and that is like a a cow face with huge horns and these white fur. So they look like animals basically. And others have goat heads with the actual goat skull on the head. If you think there's like any connection with Christianity, eh, I don't think there is. Honestly, I think it's definitely part of their shepherd tradition and it's really fantastic actually it's the best part of being in sardinia have you had any personal ghost experiences where you live i know that you don't live in a very old building but have you had any experiences in the apartment no with the, with the neighbors yes <laughs> no no the, <laughs> the neighbors are a bit spooky no it, here it's quiet i i've never felt like you know when when i lived in new york I, I've lived in places where I get the chill, you know, like you get that feeling somebody's with you, but you're all alone. Here, I haven't, I haven't felt that way yet, except maybe when I've gone, you know, in these historical places, like I said earlier, like Domestianus, the other big feature of Sardinia, probably the, the biggest feature I cannot not tell about is the neuragic culture so the the neuragic culture of these people that came to sardinia and during the bronze age there was this kind of cultural phenomenon and these peoples from like the north of sardinia and spread southward they're known by the things they built and these things are called nurage or nuragi uh they're towers and there's like seven thousand of these towers every day and you can go inside them and they were built in the Bronze Age. And some of them were spiritual, they think. And others were maybe for military defense or like a castle. But they're everywhere. <laughs> like you can't miss them. And 
being in them and thinking like, wow, what kind of things happened here? I get more of a sensation from that. Actually, a few years ago, I, I did go into an older building that felt a bit heavy, I guess. For me, all of these old buildings are creepy. You know, like, I, I don't want to say like I'm feeling spirits. Before my my wife and I got married, she moved into an apartment. And I'm guessing this apartment was built either during or before the fascism period. It was probably the creepiest place in Sasse. The rooms were huge. The ceilings were like typical vaulted ceilings. Like really, you couldn't reach it even with a broom in your hand. Huge. An incredible place. And then very typical in Italy, they leave the furniture for the next occupant. So you just kind of like trade off furniture in the closet, uh, not the closet, but like I'm losing my English. The armavio, uh, the wardrobe, sorry. In the wardrobe on the mirror, there was like this little handprint. We were just like, hmm, like what? Why is there like a handprint there? Like it could be for a kid or whoever. We got this creepy feeling and to the point where I went back to New York after helping my wife clean the place up. And she was so creeped out about being there that she actually, she lied to the land owner to get out of the living there. She's like, oh, I got to help my mom. I can't live here. But she was actually, in reality, she was really creeped out by this place because it had such a heavy kind of negative vibe. If you walk in the center of the city, there are these old streets. They're narrow a car couldn't even fit down some of them, though they try. <laughs> they definitely try fitting down. And in that area, like it, it, it has a, a feeling, a lived-in feeling. I often wonder, like with with spirits, like in Italian, the, the word haunted is infestato, and it like infested. You know, in our sense, it's like that's like bees or something. Like we have a bee problem, but like. <laughs> You know, in America, everything's so new, relatively new, from our perspective. And for them, it's the Roman period was not that long ago, but at the same time, it is. You know, like it's it all blurs because there's so much history here. And I often wondered if you were to do EVP, like who would you talk to? Would you talk to a Spanish officer? Would you talk to a Roman? Would you talk to some family that was like 50 years ago? I got to bring I, my equipment when I come to visit yeah, you. <laughs> please. It'd be so incredible. Um, along with like ghost stories, there is a few myths and I, okay, there's ghost stories where clearly they know the story. Maybe there's like a family or a, or some kid, but there, a lot of the stories often blur with myth. So a lot of the stories that I've, I've discovered are like what we talk about castles, but are also women locked away in castles usually by their crazy husbands. These are like noble stories of, you know, noblemen, people with aristocratic background. There's one in Boza, and apparently the, the noble Marquise, she's got this crazy, jealous husband to the point where he won't let her go out. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want anybody looking at her. And I, I guess the story goes back to a few hundred years ago. He keeps her locked up in, in the castle in Boza, which is sits on top of the town and really beautiful place, actually. Even though she was trapped and even though she could only see him, his jealousy pushed him to madness. And he, he ended up like accusing her of something 
and then chopping either her hand or her fingers off and let her to bleed to death. And he ended up becoming arrested and she died. But apparently you can still hear her voice in the castle screaming. And that some of these, like, that seems maybe plausible. The, the one that seems less plausible is in the area of Stintino, which, besides these stories, is probably the most beautiful beach in Europe or in the world. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful beaches, besides that fact. Stintino, apparently there was a woman who did a, did a crime, and she, or did something. Maybe she was even a witch, but it, it doesn't really specify, because this was in the Middle Ages. To town, they weren't happy with her, so they beheaded her. I don't know if there was a trial or if it was kind of like hang jury, but they beheaded her and they buried the body under a church and then they threw the head into the sea. So apparently if you're in this particular spot, you can hear her voice on the waves. But I think with these stories, it's kind of like a mix of probably it happened and then there's mythology involved. Also, the stories with the jealous husband, these permeate Sardinia, not just Sardinia, I think in Italian culture in general, jealous, jealous men. Oh, and then there's another story. Uh, this is actually quite interesting. There's a, a mining camp not too far from Sassari, near Alguero and Argentiera. In Argentiera, it looks, if you were to travel there, besides it being beautiful, this camp, it looks like typical Wild West mining place and it's abandoned now of course i think maybe they were looking for silver and there was an accident much like in syracuse new york i remember there was the mining accident during world war one like 50 people died it's a similar story where a lot of people died it's to the point where they have ghost hunters that go there apparently you can hear the pickaxes picking <laughs> sometimes it's been reported that someone questions like why are they there or get out these spirits are very angry they appear to be very angry and maybe because they lived in underground <laughs> for like most yeah. of their their work and their life and then they died like in a brutal way i found a website where they talk about oh this is the the ghost hunters but i think everything they posted was taken offline or off youtube so sadly i, I was really curious to see what they found Maybe oh, that's to too bad. Yeah, I'll have to go there myself. Um, but it is kind of creepy there. You drive there, it it looks like a typical Wild West. You, they could film a, a Wild West film there. Like um, a spaghetti Western? Yeah, actually, a lot of spaghetti Westerns were filmed in Sardinia. Interesting fact. <laughs> Two murder stories. The first story I'll tell is, is the murder of an American. And this person... Her name was Ellen Rose Giles, quite a, a pretty woman, incredible accomplishments, especially for that time period. She was born on March 11th in 1874 in Philadelphia, and she died in Sassari, where I live, on the 15th of January, 1914. She was an artist, a photographer, a philosopher, anthropologist, journalist, and archaeologist. Like, she was everything jack of all trades and i guess her father was quite an important figure in the american economic sector and very strangely she decides to well one she i think she lived in italy she must have i think she learned italian and she could speak six or seven other languages so she was an incredible woman and for 
for some reason, she moved to Sasori. Now, in that period, here in Sasori, it must have been very provincial. And for her to come here, I'm not saying like there wasn't a reason, but it, it seems kind of strange for her to move here. Besides that, her mother moved with her also. And on that night where they found her dead, it was reported that she died. I don't know if it was by accident, but the Italian newspapers didn't really make a big deal about it. But in the U.S., they, they thought circumstances were fishy. They think uh, she was probably murdered. <laughs> and they think probably there was a, she was a lover of somebody. I think she even tried to learn the Sardinian language. And she had quite like the famous existence in the, in the city. I think I know I'm not saying I'm famous, but people recognize me. It's, it's hard not to recognize someone who's not from here. She must have been like quite the character and everyone talks. So like back then, they assumed it was probably like a suicide, but she was probably murdered. I could speak Italian, even though my Italian is like pretty bad still, you know, like I'm learning, but I can try to speak Italian to someone who speaks no English and they will try speaking English with me even. It's, it's like, it's almost to the point of it being hilarious. And people just assume I'm not Sardinian. So, yeah, it's it's just one of those features of living in, in a community and also an island where people kind of know who you are. And maybe this goes back to the, the pirates <laughs> and, and also the constant invasions from other countries. You kind of like it's us and them. It's kind of like a protection, like self-preservation. Like my family, I trust my closest friends, I trust. Everyone else, it's like out of the clan, out of their like tribe, so to speak. And yeah, you find this here today, especially in the center. Oh, the other murder story was quite interesting. Apparently there was the murder of the Quesada house. So apparently in the 1850s, on my birthday, actually, August 30th. <laughs> so that's hmm, interesting. Uh, there was this Don Michele Delitala, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And he was obsessed with this woman, Giovanna Maria Quesada, and known as Minya. And they were like lovers in a very Romeo and Juliet sort of way. He tried to pursue her and marry her. And he was of noble birth. The girl's family, I don't think was. But the mother did not like this Don Michele. So she, she always refused his hand in marriage because her mother didn't agree to it. So there was one moment where he attempted to ask her hand, and the mother got in the way, and I guess Michele lost his head. Like, he just couldn't take it anymore, and his passions took the better of him. He pulled a gun out, and he pulled the trigger. And his love, Giovanna, Michele pointed a gun at the mother, Giovanna stepped in front of the gun to protect her mother, and he accidentally shot his love. And now he's freaking out. He, he bends down to her, and he's trying to save her life. But knowing that he's like probably going to lose her, he gets into this rage, and he tries to kill the mother. He starts attacking the signora, Quesada, uh, and stabbed her several times. Then the father and the, the uncle apparently stepped in. This is in Sassari, you know, this was a, I don't know if this was a common feature, but, you know, passions happen. And I guess they hanged him for this crime. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of Sardinian folklore is based on passions. 
and I think the other side of Sardinian folklore is the the briganti, the brigands and the bandits, bandit culture. This is an interesting aspect is in the bandit culture, it existed for at least 2,000 years. And when the Romans invaded Sardinia, the real Sardinians headed to the mountains to protect their families and to not succumb to Roman rule and threat. So while they fled, they had a tendency to attack Romans periodically. And they were very hard people to conquer. So the Romans decided, you know what, you can stay in the, in the mountains and be shepherds, do what you want. And it kind of existed, this sort of, they call it Barbagia. And Barbagia means like the land of the barbarians. And the real Sardinian culture is in the center of the island. Over centuries of like different rule, especially Spanish rule, rule from Piemont, these people are always at odds with the law. And especially in two regions, in the most famous are in Galura, which is northeast, and then Barbagia. And there's some famous towns. And this culture, they tended to steal cows. <laughs> you know, like the Wild West, they stole cows. But they also kidnapped people. They kind of practiced this sort of, they call it like Barantia. And it's this machismo, you know, like macho behavior of like behaving like a real man. So if someone stole your cow, well, you had to do the same. And then family feuds would happen. There was a famous brigante, and they called him like Diablo. He was brutal. Some of these people, you can say, maybe they were freedom fighters against, you know, an oppressive system where they were just trying to eat bread. <laughs> and then the authorities would hang them. But this guy, he, he went after people and killed with no thought. Like he was the devil and he was a big imposing person apparently he killed several people this is a culture that actually it still goes on today it's not over people still get in trouble these feuds they don't like to talk about it but on the news turn on somebody's killed somebody dies and it's these feuds that keep going on and on yeah it's it's still today it's not as bad as it used to be i think people are opening up to the world of tourism and prospects, it depends, like prospects for people. Some people, you know, they, they dream of leaving the island and moving to the bigger cities of the mainland. And some people don't. They, they want to be this sort of shepherd king, you know, like the shepherd that it gets the respect of everyone in the village and they embrace the culture that's there. And they don't, it's kind of like they're stuck in this sort of never ending cycle of violence in prison and getting out. And it's a wild west scenario. And it's not so bad today, I think, but like in the past, even like just a few decades ago, it was, they had some bad stories. And one of the people they kidnapped was for Italians, famous singer. His name is Fabrizio De Andre, and he was kidnapped. And he actually supported his kidnappers. <laughs> he actually sided with them. He's like, you know, like this is. I think it was more of a political reason why he did so. But yeah, this culture that's a part of Sardinia. One part is beaches, beautiful that are Caribbean beaches and delicious food and and then the other side is sheep and feuding <laughs> family feuds <laughs> so it's, it's kind of an interesting uh duality well you've taught us a lot tim about sardinia and the history and even the present festivals and rich cultures and we want to thank you for coming on to our show thank you thank you for having me i i really liked sharing this because i'm very passionate about it 
Thanks again, Tim, for being on our show. All the way from Sardinia, Italy, with your wonderful cultural histories and stories. Thank you. To the spirit podcast. Supernatural science. I'm ghost. Psychic. Mystic. Spirit. Divine source. Heaven. The dead. It's magic, magic, magic.